So the Tumbleweed Hotel was a, well, it was for the down and outs in Paris, all the young people coming by who were literally sleeping under the bridges. and So um, George decided to have this Tumbleweed Hotel, which is to, for two hours work in the shop, he gave them a bed. And in the old days, when I was sort of looking after the tumbleweed, the house mother, he called me, uh, we gave them a Sunday, uh, Sunday evening uh, broth, you know, stew. Christmas, there was the big turkey stuff, and, and um, at uh, Thanksgiving and all that. So he made his big pumpkin pie, and he loved making carrot cake, and his pancakes, and his dumplings. He loved dumplings in the stew. He had special dishes that were very, uh, pancakes especially. Then he taught people how to do them. So they could go and they could use the kitchen. He didn't give them a lot of food, but if they were really poor, he did. Kind man helping people and, and they did uh, do work in the shop. And he liked, he liked being surrounded by young people, that's for sure. And they adored him, absolutely adored him. And when George wanted to cut his hair, he used to put it on fire because that made the hair. And even his beard, he used to put it on. I literally saw him do that. Even at the time that he was really burning, I said, George, oh, you're really doing too much. He said, I went a bit too far. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. And um, can you talk too about the tea party? Who are you in relation to that? Oh, yes, I'm captain of the ship. He put me as captain of the ship. Um, in the 90s, met George. As I met George, I was standing out of, again, that was another kind of a vibration, standing on the Parvis, outside Notre Dame. And I was reading at the American University uh, my poems, an American church, and I had put the pamphlets out because I was collecting for Médecins Sans Frontières, uh, uh, Doctors Without Borders. I was collecting money with my poems and um, I was looking and suddenly I had this tremendous vibration of a magnet pulling me backwards. I'm standing like this and going backwards. So I crossed the bridge over the Seine and the little park, you know, Park Vivendi, and then came to this little shop on a Shakespearean company, a little shop tucked in the corner. And I saw in the window Poetry readings on a Monday night, seven, seven to eight. I said, oh, this is for me. And I had my satchel there with my poems inside. So I go into the shop and I chatted to the servers and I said, well, who's the, who's the head? He says, sitting at the desk, that's, it's George Whitman. That's him, the man with the beard. I went on. Good afternoon, Mr. Whitman. I, I, I just saw your ad in the advertisement in the window and poetry readings. I'm a poet and I would love to have a reading. I'm doing work with uh, Doctors Without Borders. Are you published? Well, I said, I had some work published in Canada. Yes, I'm published. No great book or anything. Yes, I'm published. So I said, here's my, I, I've just been sending pamphlets, pamphlets outside Notre Dame because I'm going to, inside Notre Dame because I'm going to do a reading. He said, well, okay. So I, he said, go and, go and read a book. Come back in, well, like half an hour. I said, I really got half an hour. I was rushed for time. So I went, uh, wandered off and read a couple of poems. And then I came back uh, quicker than I should have, I suppose. 
I think he had read a poem, I'm not sure. He had the thing there. And he looked at me and he said, well, what's your name? I said, well, Ockney Otin. Ockney? Where did you get that from? It sounds as if you got an attack of acne. That's my meeting with George. When I changed my name to Pan Millis, he was delighted. He said, that sounds a bit more feminine. Yeah, and that very day, he said, can you, can you stay around and go and tell the, the tumbleweeds? Because I, I didn't know, but he said, the, the people upstairs, they need, to, they need to see how to work the, the, the stove and things upstairs. I said, well, no, George, I'm really very busy, but I can come back tomorrow if you like. I think it was a Friday. So he said, fine. So he said, give her a reading next Monday night. I said, oh my God, next Monday night, I'll never have people to arrange a meeting, you know. So I said, oh, George, I need at least, uh, you know, a couple of... Take it or leave it. And then I ended up being the permanent housekeeper and bookkeeper and cashier and God knows what. He gave me the keys. He said, I'm off now for one week and you have to look after the shop. I've never looked after a shop in my life. I've got three children and a home. He said, you can manage. And he went off. So that was George. He just was very um, erratic, you know, he kind of did things that came into his mind. But underneath it all, he was somehow calculating. I had the idea that he knew exactly what he was doing and that it was he was firmly with his feet on the floor. As long as people recognized his creation, his child was the shop. But he did have a child. I didn't even know that right at the beginning, but then he did have an, a child, Sylvia. Very wonderful child, who's got a lot of her father's energy. So Sylvia's moved and found a door that existed now. She's got the entrance and, you know, people can come in one way and go out the other way. It's marvelous. She's moved his seat, you know, the, George loved his seat in front of the door with his little all his ancient machines that he picked up on the Marshal Puce. You know, he goes to buy all these things that never worked. Anyway, when I worked, I, I, when I looked after the shop, I, I, I just gave it up. I just put everything on a piece of paper, put the money in the till, and voila, it worked. But I said, George, you're going to have to use that machine yourself and put it all on. That's it. That's a part of his story. It's certainly not the all part of the story. And nobody would catch George. He was a sunbeam. Anything you want. Okay, anything I want. Yeah. Anything good. The bookshop owns me. I don't own the bookshop. <laughs> that's, that's a lovely quote already, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Danny is Danny, Sorry, um, Paris's lovely assistant, <laughs> who's making her presence known. The world's best translator. Yes, exactly. And with the strongest arms I've ever oh, seen. She has. I lifted that tray and couldn't believe it. I don't mind a bit of anarchy either. No, we, well, that's that. natural here. Kent, what did you want to come through? I just was going to collect. Oh, she went down. She went down to the first floor. Thank you. You can shut. You can shut it. Yeah. Thanks. You both look lovely. Huh? All I want to talk about. It, I mean, I just. What happens is I'm just going to be as catalytic as I can, and then if you find anything that's exciting and interesting, 
I want this to be about you guys, not about someone interviewing you the old stories and the stuff you've said a hundred times before. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, for me, what this is all about is, is Shakespeare and Company, you, Pam Millis, you're like energy spots for creative types. I mean, we imagine this bookshop perhaps very different to how it is, but, but we imagine it in a certain way and, and that yeah. is inspiring. So when we go back to our corners of the world, we, we, you know, we carry the movable feast with us to quote an overused quote Ferlinghetti you've been with for a little while and um, City Lights is the same sort of thing so mm. I, I just I, I wondered how the Tea Party and you and Shakespeare and Company and, and that comes together for you what's, you, what's your experience of, of this bookshop as a as a, like a, a low gloss of energy what becomes a reality through people's you know collective imagination as well and, and I, I think the embodiment of the Tea Party for, for me uh, mm. is, is one of those really practical manifestations of that energy, uh, getting people together, and, and you do this so well, yeah. so many of them aren't going to say anything, they're not going to read, they're going to sit there like, as <laughs> we say in Australia, stun mullets, yeah. and then suddenly you read something and yeah. you draw them out. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder what, what your experience, Sylvia, was of the Tea Parties through, through your time. I mean, is that... Uh, they got anarchy to order. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly with Dan, I can see Danny in the corner. Are you trying to escape? Come through. Come creep past. But with with Danny's excellent, <laughs> excellent assistance and and Pamela's direction, yeah, yeah. it's definitely got uh, it's got to a certain uh, quite a high level now. That you know, I remember the days when I would I'd actually hide in the bunk bed here to escape the tea party because it was a Sunday and and yeah, yeah. you know I was living in the bookshop and and um, and as a child I didn't like all the attention that I got so yeah. I would hide up there and just watch the tea party from the bunk bed and um, mm. and it, it was pretty chaotic then that's when dad didn't allow any washing up liquid and no tea towels, just newspapers, and uh, mouldy milk was absolutely fine, um, and and yogurt cups. So it's, we've we've moved on to jam jars. We've moved on to another level. Yeah. yeah.